All right, we are, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 11 this morning, and before we read this passage, uh, it's very important that we understand exactly what is going on right here in the story and who Moses is speaking to. So we know those first five books of the Bible, they call it the Pentateuch, and basically what we're, uh, all five of those books were given to Israel right as they were about to enter into the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And so pretty much what we're looking at when we're reading the book of Genesis is we're looking at um, Israel's history, basically where they came from and where the nations that they were about to be interacting with, where they all came from. And then as we read, go into Exodus, we read about how God brought them out of Egypt. And then in Leviticus and Numbers, and also in Exodus, we see God giving his law to them. And so some passages you're reading laws being given from God, other passages it's telling stories of what's happened. And so now when, when you get into Deuteronomy, that means second law, it's 40 years later and Moses is basically repeating a lot of stuff, a lot of these laws that have been given uh, in, uh, in the beginning of the 40 years when they came out of Egypt. And he's just kind of setting some things in place, reestablishing some things because he is about to pass off the scene. And he's about to turn things over to Joshua. And so it's important we understand that when we read this passage. So this is where we're at. We are 40 years into the wilderness. They're about to go into the promised land. And does anybody remember what something that happened to that entire generation that came out of Egypt? We know that all the men um, over 20 died in the wilderness because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith the murmuring. I mean, God killed many of them. So we've got a new, this is a whole new generation now. Many of these people that Moses is speaking to were not even born when they came out of Egypt. But there were many there who were there. They were there when they came out of Egypt. They remember it. They crossed the Red Sea. They watched it. They also saw their fathers murmuring, complaining, not having faith. They saw all these things. And they would be the new leaders now. They're now the elders in Israel. Uh, the oldest people in the congregation during this time would have been in their 50s and 60s. And that's much of who Moses is talking to here with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. Those are the only two guys that were basically left from the original people. So keep all that in mind as we read this. So in verse 1, it says, Therefore thou shalt love the Lord thy God and keep his charge and his statutes and his judgments and his commandments always. And know ye this day, for I speak not with your children which have not known and which have not seen the chastisement of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his stretched out arm, and his miracles, and his acts which he did in the midst of Egypt unto Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and all his land, and what he did unto the mighty army of Egypt, under their horses and their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea to overflow as they pursued after you. And how the Lord hath destroyed them unto this day, and what he did unto you in the wilderness until ye came into this place, and what he did unto Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up in their households and their tents and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. But your eyes have seen all the great acts of the Lord which he did. So notice how he put a distinction there. So I'm not talking to your children right now that didn't see these things because that's a lot of the congregation. They had heard about it. All they had ever known was the wilderness. But there was a group that, that they knew Egypt. They saw all these things. Imagine seeing the, the parting of the Red Sea. 
Imagine seeing the plagues of Egypt. Imagine that. Imagine being a part of that first Passover where there wasn't a single household in Egypt where there wasn't one dead. But they remembered how just because of the blood of a lamb on their doorpost, their lives were spared. There were many of them there that remembered all these great things that God had done. Imagine, too, imagine if one, you know, I just like to picture this in my head. You have one of these who was maybe 19 years old when Korah, Dathan, and Abiram started running their mouth. And then the ground opened up and swallowed them up. Here we are 40 years later. You know, and now maybe they have children. They're like, you know, I don't like what Moses is doing. Why are we still in this wilderness? Well, you know, that dad probably pounced on them big time saying, don't you dare say anything against Moses. Let me tell you about what I saw. Let me tell you about the last group of people that spoke out against him. So these people, they're all people that would have been under 20 years old because in Numbers 14, verse 26 says, and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken to mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. Why did they do that? You know why God killed them all in the wilderness? Because they said we're all going to die in the wilderness. You know what? Be careful. God will often do what we think he will do. We, we sang that song a little bit, Did You Think to Pray? I don't want to get ahead of myself. But you know, you want to know why a lot of you don't get your prayers answered? Because you don't think God will answer your prayers. That's why. You know why God doesn't, you know why you don't you ever get anybody saved and you go out soul winning? You don't think he's going to save anybody. You know, be careful. God often does what we think he's going to do. And that's exactly what he did to these people. If I were you, I'd start getting a more positive outlook. I would start thinking good things about God. These people all said, we're all going to die. That's, what, that's what's going to happen to us. And God said, okay. That's exactly what you're going to get. And they died and it said, all that were numbered of you, according to the, your whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun, but your little ones which ye said should be prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which ye search the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. So, it's very clear after 40 years, or 40 years after all the events that were mentioned, we do. We have a large congregation of people, some who had seen with their own eyes the amazing miracles, and then there were others they hadn't because they were just too young. And so, if we continue reading in Deuteronomy 11, there's no doubt that even though the next generation hadn't seen these things, God still expected them to listen to what their parents had taught them and for them to trust God because of what had taken place. That next generation was still responsible. But there was extra an extra expectation on those who were eyewitnesses of certain things. For them to believe, you know, God expected them to believe his promises more than anyone else. And you know what? I'm thankful we did a study last year through the book of Joshua and we see... That generation, they did do that. 
That generation, they did serve the Lord. That generation did trust God. And that generation did see many great things. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. And as they should have, it would have been really bad if they, if they hadn't. And so now, uh, turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 11. And so, God promised. He said, you all saw what I did. And so, you should have no problem believing what I'm telling you I'm going to do. Now, what did God promise He was going to do? Well, look at verse 8. It says, uh, Therefore shall ye keep the commandments which I command you this day, that ye may be strong, and go in and possess the land whether ye go to possess it, and that ye may prolong your days in the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers, to give unto them and to their seed a land that floweth with milk and honey. For the land whither thou goest in to possess it, it, it is not as the land of Egypt from whence ye came out, where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as a garden of herbs. But the land whither ye go to possess it is the land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year. And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And I will send grass into thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. Take heed to yourselves, that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside to serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and shut up the heaven, that there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, unless ye perish quickly from off the good land, which the Lord giveth you. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your hearts, in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets before your eyes. Now let me ask you, these promises that God gave them here in verses 8 through 18, should they seem like difficult promises for God to keep after what they had seen? Think about it. God said, if you'll serve me, I'll make sure your land is well taken care of. I'll give you the early rain. I'll give you the latter rain. You'll be, the things will grow. You'll be prosperous. All these good, wonderful things will happen if you will just obey me. Should this have been tough for a people who saw water come from a rock to believe? Who saw manna come from heaven? People who were fed in a wilderness for 40 years? People whose shoes didn't wear out for 40 years and their clothes didn't get old? When God just makes this simple promise, I'll take care of your land, your crops will grow, you'll be fruitful, all these things. Is that a big thing? No, they should have been like, okay. I mean, there's no reason why he can't do this. Look at all he did for us before. So this is not, you know, God's not asking them to march around a city seven times and then just yell. That took faith, didn't it? You know, that's what he, that's, and that's what he does later. This isn't like, what, this isn't like some of the other things God had. Do you remember, and this is years later. Remember when he had them fight the battle and he told them they weren't really allowed to do anything but sing? I preached on that a while back. And, you know, they, they did. No, this is pretty easy stuff right here that they're being asked to do. And again, thankfully, this generation did it. And so it really doesn't make sense that someone who saw the miracles that they had seen for them to not believe that God could do lesser miracles. We, you know what we would call that? We would call that kind of a hypocritical faith, wouldn't we? And you know what? I want to kind of turn this around us. That's what I'm going to preach about today is hypocritical faith. 
Because as New Testament Christians, we understand that, you know, these events that we read about, okay, these are things that we claim. These are things that we say that we stand for, things we say we believe. We believe that these stories in the Old Testament are for people like us who live by faith. Now, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because you can say, well, you know, I, I wasn't in the wilderness. I didn't see water come from a rock. I didn't see the waters of the Red Sea part. I get that. But you also claim to be a person of faith. You claim to be a Bible believer. You claim to be trusting your eternal soul into what the Word of God says. And, and look what it says. And that's how we're supposed to be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And we're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Notice he said, our fathers. Didn't God expect the next generation after Joshua to continue serving the Lord? You better believe he did. You know why? Because their fathers had seen it. And they were accountable for what had been passed down to them and what had been reported to them. And you can say, well, they're not our fathers because we're not Jews. The Apostle Paul did not agree with that teaching. All right, the Apostle Paul had not read, read Clarence Larkin's book on dispensational truth. And the Apostle Paul, you know what he called these, you know what he referred to these people as to the Corinthians? He said, our fathers. You know why? Because spiritually, they are our fathers. We claim faith in the same God. We come from the same spiritual line that they do. And he said, all our fathers, they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Sounds like those people back then had a connection to Jesus Christ, didn't they? You better believe they had a connection to Jesus Christ. It's always been about Christ, ladies and gentlemen. It's always been about Christ. And so you know what? We, we claim that heritage. We claim that. That's what we profess as believers. So understand, even though I wasn't there for these things, my fathers were there for these things. My fathers reported on those things. They've been preserved for us. These things have been passed down there in the scriptures. And so we claim to believe that God did every one of those things that, he, that the Bible says that he did in the wilderness. Do we not claim that we believe that these are literal stories and not just figurative? Listen, there's people out there, they think these are just inspirational stories. And they are inspirational stories, but they're true stories. We believe these things are historical fact. That's what we claim, isn't it? So keep reading. It says, but with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Okay, and people too want to say that it wasn't about Christ back then. The Bible says they tempted Christ. Okay, you know, let, you know, let them chew on that one for a little bit. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, 
that ye may be able to bear it. So notice he says, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You know what? I would hate to be as pathetic as the generation in Judges who after all the wonderful things that God did for them, they went and forgot the Lord. But did you know what? We can be just as bad as the people in Judges because we have the scriptures. We have the same things reported to us. We have not physically seen them, but neither had the people in Judges. But yet, they dropped the ball and we can't let that happen to us. And so, we claim all of these things as part of our heritage. We claim to be a part of the same body based on what we read in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. And yet, we are often deceived into getting outside of the will of God because we do not think that God is going to keep one of His lesser promises, you could say. One of His promises that should be really easy for us to believe. You know, we're, all, we're all ready to claim we believe all these big things about God, but yet the little things. Well, God's definitely going to keep his big promise and he's going to rise from the dead like he said three days later. He's def- I believe he's going to do the big things like return someday and gather his children. He's going to raise us from the dead. I believe he's going to do that someday, but there's no way he's going to answer my prayer. You know, there's no way he's going to do some of these little things I'm asking for. But let me tell you something. All promises matter to God. Not just the big ones. You know, we often prioritize these things. Ah, you know, I know I made this problem. You know, it's not a big deal. You know, that's easy for us to say because we're not holy. That's easy for us to say because we're so sinful and carnal. But God's not like that. In fact, it's impossible for God to lie. So if God is going to come through in the big things... He's going to come through in the little things too. And I'm telling you, as Christians, sometimes if we were real honest with ourselves, we would say that our faith, it's kind of hypocritical. When we are claiming to believe things like God taking nothing and creating the universe, we say we believe Genesis 1 literally, but yet we don't even think to pray. Like the song says, when we have some kind of need, well, God can't provide this. You know, even though we know the passages, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And, oh, by the way, he can because he did. For a massive congregation of people for 40 years, he furnished a table in the wilderness. God gave him, God gave him flesh to eat when that's what they demanded. God gave him water from a rock. God did all these things. We claim we believe these things, but then at the same time, we have some kind of challenge come our way, some kind of need come up, some kind of opposition. What do we do? We just absolutely fold. We melt. We quit. While claiming to believe the stories of the Bible. Now, why is that? We're going to get to that. There's a reason we do this. But let me just you know, kind of cover these things to just kind of show you how hypocritical we are often when it comes to our faith. We believe that God, for man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. You know, atheists laugh at us for that. But you know, we don't bat an eye because we believe the word of God. And so we do. I believe God literally formed man from the dust of the ground. And God made an image as it pleased him. God breathed into it and then all of a sudden that dust took a breath, became flesh. And that's where we came from. We, we believe we all descend from that one man. We believe that God brought water from a rock, like it says in Numbers chapter 20. We're not going to go to all these passages. We believe that God provided for the Israelites in the wilderness, like it talks about in Psalms chapter 78. That's a great passage to read sometime. 
We believe that God raised a man from the dead by touching the bones of another dead man. Remember that story in 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. I mean, you have Elisha. He was such a great man of God. He had so much power with God. Even when he is dead and nobody's even trying anything. They just find, they have this guy, he's dead. They throw him into that, you know, where the bones of Elisha were, touches those bones and comes back to life. That's, that's amazing. You know, what caused that? Why did I, you know, I don't know. Okay. I, I don't know. I know that would make a good Indiana Jones movie where they find the bones of Elisha because of its healing powers or something like that. I don't know that God would choose to do that again or if this is just something he did one time. I don't know. I don't know why God does a lot of the miracles that he does, but I believe that story. I, I, I believe that story, as random as it is, is, you know, there's not a lot of detail given about it, but we claim to believe that. We claim to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, just like it talks about in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 28, we believe that Jesus died, was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. We believe that. Uh, why? The Bible tells us. In fact, we also teach that if you don't believe that, you're not saved. If you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible is very clear in 1 Corinthians 15, you are not saved. Paul said that if there is no resurrection of the dead, referring to us rising from the dead, then Christ isn't risen. Our faith is vain, you're yet in your sins. Every one of us in here, if you're saved, you claim to believe that one of these days, this body is going to rise from the dead. That this, this mortal is going to put on immortality. That we're going to be changed in a moment, a twinkling of an eye. We believe that one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to return in the clouds, that the graves are going to open, and we're going to see him with these eyes. And just like Job, who said, though, after this body after this flesh worms destroy this body in my flesh i will see god Job believed that way back then and we claim to believe that we believe in all these things in fact if if somebody doesn't even affirm the resurrection of the dead we don't even believe they are christians because and folks isn't that a really big thing i mean you know, all the saints of the past rising from the dead, that's a pretty big miracle right there. And yet we, we claim if somebody does not believe in the resurrection that they are not even a Christian, yet at the same time we will still roll over in despair at the littlest things and, and we're not believing God on something so much smaller, on something so much insignificant. Folks, isn't that a little bit of hypocrisy right there? You claim to believe these big things, but you don't believe the little things. And you know what are some of these things that we often struggle? Well, Romans 8.31 says, What should we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I'm telling you right now, if we could just get Christians praying, if we could just get them praying, right, to just actually doing the act, I think we would see great things from God. I think, I think if everybody in this church was just praying, even if you weren't very good at it, I think just the fact that we were doing it, I believe it would change this church greatly. 
if everybody in here was just praying regularly. I, be, I believe we would see a noticeable difference. I believe, I believe it would have a huge impact if we would just do that, if we would just pray. But you know what? We often think, well, God can't answer that. God's not going to be able to do anything there. But folks, my, he's, Paul said, he that spared not his own son. Again, he's just appealing to our reasoning here. Just like I'm appealing to your reasoning. If you believe God did all these things in the past, if God parted the Red Sea, why can't he do this little thing that you're wanting him to do? And right here, we often act like, well, God wouldn't do that for me. But Paul said he didn't even spare his own son. And how much does our salvation cost us? It's free, right? But yet he goes on here to say if he gave you that for free, why wouldn't he freely give you all things? You know, I'm all for trying to be a good Christian. I'm all for trying to be worthy. The Apostle Paul talked about that. The Apostle Paul, you know, he said that I want to apprehend that for which I am apprehended in Christ. The Apostle Paul, he said, you know, that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. The Apostle Paul, he clearly had goals in his life of doing great things and being, and being a great Christian. And we should all have that. But you know what? I think one of the biggest mistakes we make in our prayers is we're always trying to earn it and always trying to be worthy. And you know what? We need to remind ourselves we can't be worthy. You know what? How about we just plead to the mercies of God and the goodness of God? And how about we just, you know, take a hold of the fact that God loves us, that God wants to do good things for us, and just ask him for it and just believe that he'll do it? Why don't we take the same faith that it takes someone to get saved? But you know what our problem is? And this, you know, this is probably another message for another day. We're always trying to earn it. But the problem is, if we earn it, then guess what we're going to do? We're going to boast about it. I'll tell you why I got this prayer answered. I prayed all night. We had an all-night prayer meeting. We didn't eat for a month. You know, we, you know, we did that. You know, we did, we, we did all these things. And then the Lord saw fit to answer our prayers because of the effort we put in. You know, and I'm not saying if you fasted for a month and prayed all night, I'm not saying it wouldn't do something. It, it definitely just might do something. But you know what I think accomplishes more? You know, you might have some old lady that just went and ate breakfast, and then she just went and just because she had a regular scheduled praying time, just went and prayed, and God gave it to her because she just believed he'd give it to her. She just had faith. She wanted it. And God looked at her, and God loved her, and it's like, you know what? She believes I'll do that for her. I'll do that for her. That seems to be the character of God. But unfortunately, we just often don't believe it. That's kind of hypocritical. We don't always often believe in God's ability to provide. We see in Philippians 4.19, and I understand he's speaking to a church that had given and that had given in their deep poverty. I mean, these people sacrificed. But, you know, these people who are giving their all for God, you know what Paul said to them? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You know what we just need to do? We need to start understanding that our God, he's rich. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can, he can take care of these things. He wants to take care of these things. But we just often don't believe it. And we just, we don't think God's going to provide. We don't, you know, we need to start making, you know, even as a church, we need to make big plans. We need to plan on God doing something great. We need to, we need to, 
sometimes be willing to put ourselves in situations where we might be up against the Red Sea with an army on the other side of us. But we do these things, and we, you know, we don't, so we don't tempt God. Okay? We're not going to go and try to get ourselves in trouble. We're not going to go see just how much the bank will loan us just to see if God will provide. I'm not talking about being crazy like that, but just I'm talking about doing stuff that we know we're supposed to be doing. You know, do it, you know, trying to accomplish things that we know is God's will. We know it's God's will for people to get saved. You know, there's there's things that we know are God's will, and so we just need to go and do it. If we say, Well, I don't know how this, you know, this is gonna work out, this is gonna work out, you know, let, let God take care of that stuff. He can handle that. We need to get back to believing not only that God can save us, but that God can also change your life. We see in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, it says that when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto him how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, we need to get back to believing that God can change some people. A lot of times I think we're just too quick to just label someone reprobate and just give up. But you know what we need to do is realize that, hey, we need, we need to start looking at what things could be. Okay? You know, and it's kind of like you hear the illustrations, too, of, you know, people. There's some people all they can see is a rock, but you have that sculptor that sees this beautiful thing that he knows he's able to make. And we, we need to understand that. Obviously, when it, you know, we're not the sculptor thing, but God is. God can make great things out of pretty sorry things. And he, God can make great people out of pretty sorry people. And what we need to do, when you see somebody that's out there that's wicked, that's got all these issues, you know what you ought to do is just say, you know, instead of thinking, you know, Lord, put them quickly in hell and thinking about all the imprecatory prayers, you know, say, you know what, Lord, I'd love to see you do something with that. I'd love to see you change our life. And you know what you ought, to, you ought to do? You ought to have enough faith. Try to give them the gospel, knowing that they get the Holy Spirit inside them, that he could do an amazing work in that person's life. You know, some of the worst sinners become some of the greatest Christians. You know why? Because they're just kind of people that, you know, even though they don't know the verse, they live whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. And when they were sinners... They try to be the best sinner they could be and do all that they could. And you know what? They get saved. They become a saint. Like, you know, I'm going to be the best saint I possibly can be. And they just, they're, they're good at both. We need to start seeing people like that and just kind of having a, having a vision for people because God can do that. We know that. We, we, you need to start believing that God can change your life. A lot of times people, they just kind of give up. And they're just like, you know, I just don't think I can ever conquer this sin in my life. I don't think I can ever get over this problem in my life. Well, why not? You literally believe, you claim to believe that Jesus Christ saved your soul, that he raised you from the dead spiritually. He's quickened you, that he's done, he did all this work for you on the cross. He paid for all your sins. He's given you his Holy Spirit, but yet you don't think he can enable you to actually do the right thing and live like a Christian. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Folks, why? I get it. I get that we're always going to have this flesh. But you know what else we believe if you're saved? We believe once saved, always saved. So that means once you have the Holy Spirit, you always have the Holy Spirit. So if you have the Holy Spirit, why can't you get over this addiction? Why can't you get over this sin? It doesn't really make sense for you to stand there and tell me 
that God can't do that. You know what you remind me of? You remind me of somebody who came through a wilderness, who walked through a, a sea on dry land, who saw the enemies of God destroyed, who've been fed man in a wilderness, and then all of a sudden you get a little bit of th- thirsty after being fed from a rock or given water from a rock before, and you're like, I don't think God, I think God's going to let us die. Really? Do you, do you really think that the condition you are in right now is the condition where God wants to find you at His return? We know that God wants to, He wants to change us. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. God wants us, God does not want us to be ashamed before Him at His coming. God doesn't want that. God wants to change your life. He wants to do things in your life. He wants to make you more like Him. And you better believe He's enabled you to do that. What you have for that to get done, you have it. It's inside you. It's the Holy Spirit. And so we've got to try to, you know, what we, what we need to do, just to kind of help us, whenever you find yourself in a situation where you're just not trusting God, you're, when you kind of have... And, you know, you're having that hypocritical faith where you claim to believe the big things, but you, cl- you don't believe the little things. You need to try to picture, you know, just the best you can in your mind, a holy God in a perfect place called heaven. Just try to picture that in your mind. We don't now we all understand we do not belong in a holy place like that. We we're too, we're too sinful. But yet at the same time. We believe that God's prepared a place for us. And why is that? Here, here's what we've got. Okay? Here's why I believe this sorry hunk of flesh is going to go to heaven someday. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. We claim we believe that. We believe that Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. But then we also believe Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Folks, the salvation, the miracle of salvation is one that was done completely by Jesus Christ for us. We got it through faith. We believed the gospel. We believe Jesus paid for our sins. We call on Him for salvation, and we believe that changes our eternal destination. We get it for free. We get it without any worthiness or works. But yet, we still struggle to believe God will do the lesser things. Why is that? Why do, why do saved people... Because I'm not telling you if you don't believe God can do these little things, you're not saved. I'm not saying that at all. And I think I can prove to you, even from the Bible, it doesn't mean you're not saved. But I will say, it's kind of it's hypocritical, isn't it? It's, it's kind of hypocritical... When we get that way, we should not be that way. We all do it. We all get this way, but we should not be that way. But how does that happen? Now, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 11, where we started. But but notice what Moses said in verse 16. After he's told them about all these blessings that God's going to give them, if they follow the Lord, he goes on to say, Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived. And ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them 
And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven, that there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, unless ye perish quickly from off the good land, which the Lord giveth you. So he's, he notice because, again, these people knew the truth. They knew the power of God. They had seen the miracles. So notice what, Paul, uh, or what Moses said here. He said, don't let your heart be deceived. You know what? We can let the devil deceive us sometimes and confuse us even after we're saved and cause us not to have faith. Even though these people might get deceived, they still came through the Red Sea. They still saw all those things. But they could be deceived into being disobedient and even serving other gods. And we know that eventually, as a people, they did do that. But let me ask you this. What would it take to get someone who saw those miracles to be deceived by other gods? I mean, didn't God take care of all the gods of Egypt through those ten plagues? Yet somehow these people still got deceived? You know, what would do that? What would it take to deceive a saved person who believes all the things that we claim to believe? You know, what, what, would, what would deceive us, what would it take to deceive us from just praying and believing these things? Well, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where we went, where it said all these things that happened, they were for our admonition. He, um, go, go ahead and turn back over there. Look what it says in verse uh, 13. It says, Therefore there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, you know, all the mistakes we make, it's the same kind of things they made back then, too. We have all the same problems. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. That tells me if I get tempted and I mess up, it's just because I gave up on purpose. I could have handled it. I could have handled it. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my beloved, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. And notice how Moses, he said, don't let your heart be deceived. That, that's going to make you follow other gods. Here in 1 Corinthians 10, he's warning these Christians to be, be careful that you don't make the same mistakes that your father made. And you know what he told them to watch out for? You know what he told them to flee from? Idolatry. Idolatry is something that messes us all up. And so I do. And you say, well, you know, we don't worship idols in america today well not like they did back then okay but folks we are very idolatrous as a nation there's no doubt about that today and you know what i believe that the primary goal of other gods has always been and i believe it's just to keep you distracted from the one true god it was especially back then you know before there's technology before they have all these things that we have today to keep us distracted if somebody made a really cool, powerful-looking image, you know, it would be a lot easier to get somebody to focus on that than on an invisible God. I'm telling you, idols have always been about distracting from the true God. Those gods, that, and those gods that they would always use, they always appeal to the sinful flesh. That's why they distract so easily. Isn't it interesting, you know, you learn about any of these other Greek gods and, you know, all these other gods, they're a lot more like us, aren't they? You know, they're, they're gods that do, that appeal to the lust of our flesh. And you know what? We need to understand that the thing that gets us in trouble as Christians, it might not be a statue somewhere, but it's these things of the flesh that distract us from God. 
We get so caught up in the things of the flesh, they get us looking away from God. They cause us to forget God. And if you're saved, folks, you're always saved, but sometimes we can forget that we were purged from our old sins. We can forget about what God has done for us. We forget about that miracle, and then we find ourselves in a situation where we need a much lesser miracle, but because we've forgotten God, we don't, get it, we don't see it accomplished. We don't pray like we're supposed to. And we've got to understand, the, the gods of this world, they are there to distract you from the things of the Spirit. They are there to get you walking according to the flesh. And we have got to remember, as saved people, we always have to walk in the Spirit. We've always got to stay close to God so we can keep the lines of communication open. So we can have the faith that we're going to get our prayers answered. And I'm here today to tell you that if you're facing some kind of situation in your life and you just don't think God's going to do anything about it, I'll tell you right now, you know what? You're, in, you're too much in the flesh right now. Something's gotten you distracted from the things of God. You know what you need to do? You need to start walking in the Spirit. You know what you need to do? You need to maybe turn off your television, turn off all the junk you're watching on TV, maybe start reading your Bible a little bit. Maybe start listening to some good Christian music instead of the junk that you're listening to, the, the sensual stuff that's getting you in the flesh. Maybe you need to start actually doing something spiritual. Maybe you need to get in the house of God. Get around the people of God. Start talking about the things of God. Go out there and tell somebody about Jesus Christ. You know what's hard to forget about what God has done for you in salvation when you have a habit of going and telling people about salvation on a weekly basis? It makes it hard to forget. But folks, we know that there are many Christians today that have forgotten. And you know what? Those same Christians are also people that haven't given the gospel to anybody in months and even years. And... It can't be that way. And you know what God's solution was too? We're not going to take time to look at the scriptures on this. You know what God constantly told Israel so they, to do so they wouldn't forget? Is he said, talk about these things. Talk about them. Talk about them when you're walking by the way, when you're lying down, when you rise up. Talk about them. Talk about these things. You know what we need to do on a regular basis? We've got to remember to talk about what God did for us. We need to talk about how he saved us. We need to talk about other prayers that he's answered in the past, things he's done, victories he's given us. We've got to talk about these things. Why? To remind ourselves, to remind everyone else, because we're often we have churches today that are full of saved people who have seen the miracles of God, who spiritually speaking have crossed the Red Sea, Spiritually speaking, they've been, they've been brought back from the dead. And at the same time, they have one little problem. And what do they do? They have a meltdown. The children of Israel, after God delivers them out of Egypt, and after God brings them through the Red Sea, destroys the armies of Pharaoh, what do they do when they see Jericho? They cried. They bawled. All night long, they threw a big hissy fit. And God was not pleased with that. You know, I wonder what God thinks when he sees us basically acting the same way. We're go, we do. We, we show up to church carrying our Bible, strutting around. You know, hey, you know for sure if you're saved? Yep. You know, but then we got some little tri trial, some little challenge that comes up. Oh, we're doomed. You know, my life is done. Our church, our church is finished. We're not going to be able to overcome this obstacle. Boy, you know what? If we have that attitude, oh really, you, you really think a bunch of sodomites are going to be able to put a stop to what you're doing at your church? Fine. I'll let them. You know, I, I, I believe that sodomites could stop us. 
if we thought they could. But you know, we need to have the attitude. I mean, listen, folks, have you ever read what God thinks about sodomites in the Bible? I don't think God wants them to beat us. But if we're so sorry and so pathetic as save people to think that they could, God might say, fine, if, that, if that's how you're going to be. He did it with that generation. Our children are all going to die. And God's changed it up a little bit. And you know what God said? It's like, you know, you're going to die. I'm going to let them go through, but you're, yeah, you're going to die. You thought you were going to die? It's like, it's not your kid's fault you had no faith. You know, and I don't want to be one of these churches. I, I went and I visited a church uh, Wednesday when we were out of town. And, you know, the pastor was asking why I picked that church. And I was, I was looking at the websites of all the different churches. And, you know, I just said, you know, the, I just, when you look at churches, websites, live streams, you know, a lot of times you can see, you can tell when, like, there's a church that kind of has some life to it. And then you see these other ones that are dead. And I just told him, I was like, you know, it just, it looked like your church had some life to it. I said, I don't really like visiting churches that are like old museums full of mummies. And that's what a lot of churches are like. They're there, physically speaking, but it is. It's literally all dead mummies that have been in that church for 2,000 years. And there's no, there's no new life in that church. I, I don't even like visiting those places. And, uh, and so, you know, I said, just, and, you know, and that, that's all it was. You know, the church had a lot of young people in it, a lot of kids. And, uh, you know, there, there were signs of life. But you know what? That, that could happen to us. We might not, like, shut these doors, but we could become that church full of a bunch of old relics. Deader than a mausoleum. And, yeah, we're still, you know, we're still here, but we're not doing anything. I don't, I don't ever want to be that church, folks. I don't, ever, I don't ever want to be that place. But if we think God's not going to do anything, God's probably not going to do anything. And so, you know what? There's no excuse for us to think that way when we claim to be saved. If that's the kind of faith you have, you're kind of a hypocrite. And you know what? We shouldn't be that way. We ought to take these things into consideration on a regular basis and then expect God to do great things. When challenges come up, we ought to think, man, that challenge is in trouble. Because our God can take care of that. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was helped everybody. Lord, if it did anything, I pray it'll just uh, get everyone in here praying more. Uh, Lord, I pray we'll keep the lines of communication open. I pray we'll uh, keep idolatry out of our hearts, Lord. I pray that we'll not let the things of this world and the flesh get us distracted from you. Help us to uh, always remind ourselves of what you've done for us. Help us to tell other people about it. Help us to always talk about it and just... Sing your praises wherever we go, because you're worthy. In your name we pray. Amen.